It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. <laughs> Star Trek Discovery, Season 3, Episode 9, Terra Firma, Part 1, is over, but we are just getting started here on post-show recaps. My name is Jessica Lease, and this week on Discovery, things for Giorgio went from bad to worse when she returned to the Mirror Universe. To analyze this certain doom, I bring you my co-host, Mr. Mike Bloom. And this is when I fall from the ceiling on silks, right, to like a pulse-pounding beat. Yeah, you, didn't you bring the silks, Mike? I thought I thought we talked about this. Well, I more so shrouded myself in them just because I thought it was a nice look, though I realized that in the Terran universe, I do think that silk is a sign of weakness. So I think I'd, for many reasons, I would probably be killed on the spot should I appear in the Terran universe. If this episode is any indicator, uh, it is not a hospitable place for the faint of heart or fabric. No, you definitely got to be tough if you want to survive out there. It's a lot like middle school in that regard. (laughs) Exactly. All these kids never really, uh, they peaked in middle school. And so they just sort of grown up, joined Starfleet from there. And that's the attitude that they brought into their conquest of the universe. Yeah. Can we talk about the phrase terra firma before we get too far into this? Because I mean, that's the the episode proper. So yeah, go ahead. Yeah. It's apparently it's their battle cry. (laughs) And it's like, you're not on terra firma, though. You're on a spaceship. Solid ground. <laughs> Solid ground. Yeah, it's it's a weird sort of cry. I mean, I guess it's the Terran Empire. So it's like, we're solid. You know, the Terran Empire is solid. But I think well, yeah, when you do the literal translation to the Latin titles, as many of these Star Trek uh, episodes, particularly of the modern variety, do, there's there's not such st- solid ground to stand on with that logic. No, there's, there's really not. Um, but before we... Before we try to break apart any of the logic involved in the Mirror Universe, we want to take a moment to thank our sponsors. Support for this podcast comes from Pluto TV. Need an escape? Drop into Pluto TV for a world of free TV. Stream hundreds of channels and thousands of movies and shows all for free. Yeah, free. No subscriptions, no fees. Imagine 24-7 channels of Narcos, CSI, Star Trek, Survivor, everything else from hit movies to binge-worthy TV shows, the latest news, live sports, comedy, and more. What are you waiting for? Download the free Pluto TV app for Android, iPhone, Roku, and Fire TV and start streaming now. Pluto TV, drop in, watch free. So do you think, Jess, in the Mirror Universe, that Pluto TV is the most expensive streaming service out there? Yeah, I I would guess that in the the Terran version of Pluto TV, you have to pay like hundreds of dollars and you still get ads. Yeah. So, I mean, I've always been intrigued slash a little confused by the concept of the mirror universe. It's sort of like when they discuss uh, the bizarro stuff on Seinfeld, right? Like, (laughs) is it the exact mirror opposite of someone? Do they say bad bye? Or is it more so like, hey, this universe is different. It's not the complete opposite, but there is a lot of different stuff going on. Yeah. Well, it's funny when you when you go too far down this rabbit hole, Mike, because it's allegedly the mirror universe is one. It's what happened when one event went differently for one 
at one moment mm-hmm. and then it created like, you know, it's this multiverse theory. It created this other universe where everything was the same except this one thing happened different, but you have this butterfly effect thing. So I don't think anybody would exist the way that they are. Like you shouldn't have a mirror universe version of yourself that was born at the exact same time if this universe got formed thousands of years before you were born because it would just be like everybody had the exact same number of offspring for the generations i i don't buy it especially because they love killing people in yeah. the terran empire so i feel like my parents would have been slaughtered before i was born so there is no mirror universe me you know what i'm saying so that's true though but i will say that our trip to the mirror universe here did bring back characters that are dead right now on star trek discovery so listen our prime universe does not exactly uh not have blood on its hands relatively speaking it's a very good point mike and uh this was – we were talking before we started recording. This episode was a big surprise. I don't think we expected the way that the show – the way that the episodes have been structured up to this point. It's been like we're on the ship and we have like a main plot line that furthers the plot. And then we have like a silly B plot and an even sillier C plot. And this, we just kind of went for one plot the whole way through. And it was all Giorgio and I – It was a curious choice, to say the very least. I completely agree. I think especially when it comes to placement in the season. I mean, look, Star Trek Discovery is not necessarily known. We talked about this before. They don't do the typical uh, prestige TV, like, let's make a big thing happen in the penultimate episode and then have a big finale. You know, considering that three seasons in a row, we've had the whole trip to the Mirror Universe slash Lorca Discovery. We've had the Arium death, and we've had this trip to the Mirror Universe all happen within, like, three to four episodes before the final episode. So Star Trek Discovery don't give an don't give an F about like where things are in their story from a climactic perspective where these rises and falls are starting to happen. But that being said, yeah, you know, we have really been concentrating on this big mystery of the burn or even like the smaller stuff of Osira. And we sort of we got that a little bit, but the choice to I would say spend conservatively half of this episode and who knows however much of the next episode in one setting in this. I don't even know if we can call like the mirror universe proper because we can certainly talk about like, was she really sent back in time? Could this be like a fancy holodeck simulation? Could this be a larger test from maybe a Q-like identity, Mm -hmm. which is sort of the theory that I that I'm supporting right now. Uh, So it's I'll put mirror universe in quotations. But yeah, to your point, I think the the singular uh, the singular journey through the latter half of this episode, when Giorgio and us stepped through that door, we stayed there for the rest of the episode, was a curious choice. I'm reserved to hold my judgment until we see the second part, but I was completely blindsided by this choice in so many ways. Yeah, I, I definitely was as well. Although we knew that we had to reconcile this Giorgio thing that was happening to her. We knew we had to explain it at some point, and I figured that we would have to go to the Mirror Universe to explain it, but I didn't realize that we were going to get this, like, sliding doors thing where she gets to go back and and see what happens if she makes one slightly different choice. Yeah, so, so let's let's talk about that, because we get down to uh, the Dumas, uh, not the Dumas sisters, no, I think it's uh, <laughs> Danis is the name of the planet, yeah. Danis 5. So we got to talk about this guy, Carl, because I think our thoughts on Carl... Uh, are going to inform where, you know, what we think about this general conceit. Now, first off, Jess, were you disappointed he was wearing a bowler hat and not a cowboy hat? I'm 
I mean, he could have been Cowboy Carl and that would have been fun, but I think then he would have had to be Lawrence Fishburne. And <laughs> then I was going to be, I was going to be very excited if that was the case. But the, you know, the bowler hat was a good look for him, sort of Winston Churchill esque. Yeah, with the, with this with the stogie and like the Adirondack chair and everything. Yeah. But I oh, mean, I learned something, Mike, because oh, I was ahead. looking at Reddit and um, I was trying to you know take the temperature of the fan response, and I learned that in Canada, Adirondack chairs are called Muskoka chairs. Interesting. So is it like one of those like repurposed things? That, well, we actually up here we were the ones that created them, so we're taking the name. Yeah, I think, or it's just like I think. Maybe it's like this is where we use them in the you know the adventure capital of Canada. We all sit back in these really low to the ground chairs that hurt your back, and we're going to call them Muskoka chairs up here because you know who knows what the Adirondacks are in Canada. Well, not to get too far into our amazing race talk, but we found out this <laughs> week that essentially any you know uh, place can appropriate any sort of object or concept as becoming <laughs> the capital of something. So like go you go ahead, Canada, but l- let's talk about this guy. Because, again, I, I certainly have, you know, initial theories about it that ties into what this situation mm, as might As do be. I, and my theories are different from yours. Okay, so so I'll, I'll, This I'll, is going to be the difference between a, a primarily TNG watcher and someone who got their start with TOS. Yeah, all right. So, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cede the floor to you then. Uh, here's your time. Go ahead and tell me, wh- who do you think Carl is? And therefore, what, do you, what is the, uh, the situation? What's the scenario that he has created for Giorgio? Okay, well, I can guess first, Mike, what you're the direction you're going in, because I'm thinking of that that episode of TNG where Picard was visited by Q and Q sends him back and is like, you don't have to get stabbed in the heart. Yep. You can de-escalate and then you can be like middle management for the rest of your life. Yeah. So yeah, so that's tapestry. Basically, Jess summed it up really well. Uh, Q appears to Picard and is like, hey, BT Dubs, you're dying, but you can go back to the day when you were stabbed by Nausicans and got your artificial heart. And so, yeah, Picard uh, awkwardly making out with a 17-year-old girl, but then he <laughs> avoids getting stabbed, playing Dom Jot, and then it turns out that no, because he had faced death, uh, you know, that caused him to be the the risk-taking individual that made him become captain. And so we eventually realized that, like, trauma is part of the tapestry of your life. And so he goes back, does what he was supposed to do and then ends up, you know, living. Though I think this was all entirely an alternate timeline. I feel like right. he wasn't necessarily that powerful. But yeah, it was essentially like, a, oh, it's a wonderful life for Picard. Right. And I, I was kind of, I'm wondering if next episode, that's what we're going to get. is like the it's a wonderful life of it all. And we're going to see Giorgio live out the ramifications of her different choices this episode. That will be, that will be one way I could definitely see it going. But I think. This portal reminded me of one very famous Star Trek episode in particular, mm. and there are a couple of little tiny details that seem to bear this up. Um, this looked to me like the portal from the city on the edge of forever. Right, the guardian of space and time. Yes, I, this guy is clearly a guardian of space and time because he's reading a newspaper. The yes. name of the newspaper is the Star Dispatch, which is the same newspaper that you see in City on the Edge of Forever. It's obviously a shout out at the very least. I don't know if this is supposed <laughs> do you, do, to be. Do you the Guardians have just like a nice piece of media that they circulate amongst themselves that happens to be the Star Dispatch? I'm just surprised that they're still using paper these days because, you know, we don't even read the newspaper physically anymore. It's 2020. Yeah, and you would say that, like, they have no excuse, right? Because I think back in the 60s, you still might imagine that they're... Well, they also went back to the 30s in, yeah. uh, in the city on the edges forever, so that doesn't really necessarily matter. But here you're going back to, like, the 2300s instead of the 1930s. <laughs> 
Yeah. When do you think they're going to print the very last paper newspaper, Mike? It's going to be in like five years, right? Yeah. I was going to say like, it's, it's going to, it's going to come at some point, but then like they're going to, I don't know, then they'll create some form of like digital paper and newspaper comes be like, we're back in business, baby. Let's get it printed up. And maybe that's how, maybe the guardians aren't necessarily holding a proper newspaper, newspaper, but some sort of like programmable material paper that just feels like the real thing. Yeah. Sort of like. You get the effect of like in Back to the Future when they have the piece of paper and then and the headline changes on their newspaper. Exactly. It can do that, but it just does that all the time. Yeah, exactly. This ain't your grandmother's newspaper. Right. Right. So we have this setting in the middle of like this barren snow covered wasteland. It's just a dude in a chair and a door. And he makes a lot of really bad jokes and somehow Giorgio doesn't punch his face off. Yeah. I, well, I think uh, maybe she would have, would she not more, I don't know, uh, in traction, medically speaking. You know, if, if her sense of self was not being pulled into another space and time, I think she could have easily broken his neck with her legs, Giorgio style. Yeah, I, I think she really wanted to. And I think that wanting to may have like expedited her um, her phase shiftiness that was happening in that moment. Mm-hmm. I also really liked when... The two of them touch down. Obviously, there's going to be this episode was really focused on the relationship between Michael Burnham and Philippa Giorgio, both the prime iterations, the mirror universe iterations, and then the prime Michael and mirror Burnham. But what I really loved was uh, when they touch down on Dennis and they start to walk off, you know, to wherever the sphere data pinged them to. I got evocations to me of one of the very first scenes of the mm-hmm. of the series when it's the two of them walking in the sand and for some reason they make the Starfleet logo in the desert. But I thought that was like a fun little, for lack of a better term, mirror of here are these two women, both uh, very different from when we saw them before in many ways, uh, in very disparate climates compared to one another, but sort of still that same image is evoked. Yeah, it was clearly meant to echo that. But the thing I don't understand, Mike, is aren't they able to just beam down to the surface of wherever they need to be? Like, why did they have to beam down a couple of miles away and hike in? Yeah, so that's the I think one of the bigger questions, and we got this question in the in the post show recaps Discord as well as like in the in the land specifically of personal transporters, shouldn't you be able to just go anywhere at any time? I mean, maybe because there is so much shenanigans going on on this planet with whoever or whatever Carl may be, maybe there's some like interference maybe it could be a thing of like maybe they thought they beamed down to the right location then like the location shifted you know it's like when you're playing pokemon and like you're tracking those legendary pokemon that like can change locations on a whim maybe carl is playful enough to do that yeah i I could definitely see carl messing with them he's like well this hike is part of the journey so wherever you beam down to i'm gonna go be somewhere else yeah exactly like oh well i also wonder how carl i mean i don't know we'll find out how much more we see of Carl, this is a one and done thing. I'll be intrigued to see how he reacted to the idea of newcomers as well, right? Because like, you would think that uh, maybe, you know, maybe this also uh, defuncts my Q theory a bit, is you would think Q is certainly more omnipotent and knowledgeable as to what's going on, whereas Carl legitimately seemed to have no idea who these people are, what was going on with them, and why they were here. He just happened to be the one with the door for her to walk through. Yeah, it's like he's just doing his job. He's just the guardian. He's like the guy with all the frogs in the good place. Yeah, exactly. Uh, So, you know, I mean, we'll talk about Giorgio uh, going through. But I mean, I guess let me let me throw this question out here while we're on the topic, because, you know, the the thought legitimately went through my head because we have this lingering thread throughout season three of at some point, 
Philippa Giorgio is ha- going to have to get away from the Discovery crew. I don't know what time period it's going to be, but she has to star in this Section 31 <laughs> show. And you and I have speculated even early on this season of like, well, maybe Section 31 happens nowadays in the 3100s. I think either way, I would not be surprised, Jess, if Michelle Yeoh is no longer a main cast member in Discovery by the end of the second part. Whether that means that she dies and they do some sort of like Phil Coulson thing with Section 31, or it's just like, okay, we're we're taking you to some place in some time. Because again, if you're especially if you're dealing with like a Guardian or a Q, uh, you know, this is the time to say your goodbye. Yeah, I really got some strong swan song vibes from this episode. They're kind of, they're trying to wrap up this whole thing where she can't be with them. And they came up with a good excuse for her to not be with them so that they can send her to wherever she's going to be doing her section 31 stuff. Yeah. I mean, for me, what, when it really hit me was on the transporter pads, when she says goodbye to Saru and Tilly, right? I'm like, I know that that Star Trek Discovery likes to do fake out sometimes and or kill people, but bring them back. But there was a definite sense of finality to, you know, those statements that they had for each other that it would feel like almost weakened if she ended up coming back. Like, this doesn't feel like your typical other, you know, two part episode where like things get relatively set back to a status quo. I I do think that somehow, some way, I, I do not think we're going to get a Philippa Giorgio still on Discovery by the end of Terra Firma Part 2. This, to your point, really does feel like that swan song. Yeah, they're just, they're sending her off on her own new adventure because they've already established she can't stay with them forever. You know, nothing gold can stay, Mike. I suppose not, uh, but lots of gold to be had in the Terran Empire. I mean... Jess, I, I'm so in- intrigued to take your temperature on this because you are someone who has really, you know, uh, bolstered Star Trek Discovery Season 1 for these bonkers twists, particularly of the Mirror Universe. So were you satisfied to go back here, albeit in the weird way that we did? What what were your feelings behind it? Well, first of all, my feeling is that eyeshadow is obviously the new goatee. <laughs> well, you can't be, I mean, I, listen, you can put goatees on, on, on women if you want to in the Mirror Universe. It just probably would not look particularly great. But yeah, definitely heavy on the makeup in the Mirror Universe. Yeah, well, I, I guess it makes a lot of sense, Mike, when you think about it, because what we're seeing in this part of the Mirror Universe is it's much more female run. You know, the Mirror yeah. Universe, like the future, is female. And so they're not going to grow goatees. They're going to find some other way. And it is apparently a really badass smoky eye. Yeah, I'm surprised it wasn't like something to do with the hair, because maybe thinking about like facial hair versus hair mm-hmm. on top. Uh, but it seems like everyone's rocking. Maybe that's almost like the individuality of your own hairstyle. Talks about how you're not uniform with, with Starfleet. Even when you're under the thumb of the Terran Empire, you know, you can still rock your individuality. Yeah. Even when you're wearing your gold football uniform, you can still rock your individuality. <laughs> Those shoulder pads. Very like a TNG Romulan-esque in terms of just the pure squariness of it all. Yeah, I, that's not a practical look, Mike. I feel like the Terrans would, with all the fighting they do, they'd want to be a little more practical than that. Well, not even that. I would say more so the uh, like the skin tightness of the actual uniforms proper. Like I'm, I'm maybe imagining in the future. We know it's not silk, but maybe there's some sort of lycra that allows them to move around it properly. Or unless they say like a true warrior, you know, is able to battle even in the skinniest of jeans and get by with a victory. Yeah, well, I've, that's always been my problem with the Star Trek universe, Mike. Like everything everybody wears is so tight and it just doesn't seem practical. And I mean, obviously they moved away from the little short skirts by the end of the first season of TNG. They yeah. decided that was not a thing that people had to do anymore. But 
there's a lot I that your space uniform for space fighting should be it should breathe. It should not be loose because then you can, you know, you could get it caught on things, but it should not be restrictive. Maybe that's an it's an interesting status statement though, right? Of like, I am so powerful, I don't even need to move to really kill you. I mean, we saw what George O did when she just like straight out gutted mirror stamets. And so maybe the looser your clothes are, you know, the less powerful you are, because that means you have to dart around a lot to escape certain death. Whereas if you're up in a position of power, you don't need to do anything. You can have people kill you, kill others on your behalf, or you could even get the deed done yourself with barely a flick of a wrist. Yeah, it's true. You just look at them the wrong way and they know they're dead. And so you could wear a giant 15 pound piece of metal on your head and you don't have to worry about somebody usurping you. Yeah, it's very much like a evocative of the mass singer. Just need to put like a little faceplate over Giorgio and she could have gotten up to sing her favorite Terran song. Yeah, wh- what kind of music do you think they listen to in the Terran Empire, Mike? See, I'm so intrigued because I wonder if this ties into like this performance piece. Because first off, took me right back to theater school. I am yeah. actually very sure that we did at least one show that had like silks hanging from the ceiling <laughs> and people talking in that sort of prose. So really sent me back at least like 15 years or so. Uh, but, you know, I am intrigued that they were, the Terrans were into sort of that form of art. Uh, I mean, listen, they're not, it's not like they're not not into art. Uh, they love artists so much, they cut off artists' hands and blind them to make their work more valuable. But I, I just would never have taken Terrans for being like, yes, please, more performance art. This is what we enjoy most. I would assume they would want to watch some sort of like form of space cockfighting, you know, something that, that gives a form of bloodlust. Yeah, it kind of it actually reminded me a lot of the play that they watch in Interview with the Vampire. Mm. And then they murder somebody on stage at the end of it. I was surprised that nobody actually got murdered at the end of this one. Well, maybe George O was the one to do it. She's like, this is no true Terran play if someone doesn't die at the end. Like everyone's a Lincoln when you're when you're in the Terran <laughs> Empire. But I, to answer your question, I would imagine like some like really intense trap music. I think just like something mm. with a very intense pulsing beat at all times to mimic one's heartbeat. That's adrenaline filled. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's, you know, it's pretty terrible. So I imagine they listen to terrible music in the Terran empire yeah, because no, what's yeah, bad is good. Yeah, exactly. And they're also like not going for quality necessarily. They're just like, okay, I guess I have to like, and I also don't, I could not imagine any of them dance really considering that their activities for fun seem to be like throwing knives at each other and doing what looks like some sort of form of like, electrified arm wrestling over the top style. Yeah, that was, I was surprised there wasn't a scorpion in a jar next to him. Exactly. These are the most like, you know, bad hombres you've, uh, you've got, and they're all hanging out together on the bar, which I would imagine actually that on the mirror version, the ISS discovery that that place has been fully converted into a bar. It's not being used for anything else. It's only a canteen for these people. Right. It's no longer a multi-purpose room. Exactly. It's only one purpose this time. Again, very much uh, the opposite of the yeah, way it is yeah, on the yeah. USS Discovery. Yep. I, I'm starting to believe these guys do say bad bye. Yeah. I, I will say it was, well, you know, we can certainly talk about the, the weirdness that was going back in time specifically. It was nice to see at least some versions of mirror universe versions of these characters that we'd only heard about. Obviously, like Michael Burnham. I'm so glad that they have given Sonequa Martin-Green so much to do this season. Like, between the trippiness she got to do in episode one, like, the romance with Book, and now this, she is not no longer, like, the crying, emotionless Vulcan 
that we've experienced the past two seasons. And I'm I'm happy on behalf of her. Yeah. It's it's nice that because she didn't initially she was already dead in the mirror universe when they went before. And so she never got the chance that everybody else did to like get a giant piece of scenery and grab onto it with both hands and devour it hungrily like everybody else does. I, I can picture this actually on the first day of filming for this episode. Everybody rocks up and they hand out the scripts and they're like, score, we get to go to the mirror universe, we get to wear the eyeshadow and we get to act big. We get to be huge and cartoonish and evil. And nobody is doing their best acting in these mirror universe episodes. And this goes all the way back to original series. Right. And certainly I think the person who probably did this best was Nana visitor as intendant Kira, like just oozing like yeah. sleaze and evil. Yeah. With why, every yeah. Romancing Cisco and like trying yeah. like having all these concubines. Yeah. And wearing the tinfoil tiara. Right. So there is a lot of precedent for this. Like, you know what your job is when you're a Star Trek actor and you have to go to the mirror universe. It's just to like, it's just to like twirl a mustache Mm -hmm. and like twirl the mustache on your goatee, metaphorically speaking. I just have that image. It's so strange. (laughs) It is strange. Well, goatees come with a mustache. You can twirl that. I I more so meant like twirl the hairs on your goatee. So it looks like you're... You're just holding its fingers like up to your chin. You're turning. You're you're trying to make the look from the guy from Anthrax. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah. But, <laughs> but to your point, I mean, there are so many. Like, if you took a drink every time there was like ex- interesting looks exchanged between parties in this episode, mm-hmm. like you would be under the table with Cynthia Hall by the end of this because it was just to your point. Like everyone was just full of like furtive glances to each other. Of like at any point in time, a fight can break out. So you got to keep one hand on your blaster and the other one at the door. It was like, um, it was like the Californian sketch. Like when they, they zoom in on their faces. Yeah, exactly. Like there was just so much, so much like eye contact or lack thereof. But I think my favorite, maybe one of my favorite mirror universe moments at this episode was at the end when mirror universe, Michael just goes buck wild. And she's like, cackling wildly and she tells her joe like i am not your puppet you know like you don't respect me like you could tell to your point while it is a tough thing for these characters to be like okay now play the opposite version of yourself sneak martin green i think made a meal of it with just playing someone that was truly off base off star base as it were and just like completely savoring where this character was at this point in time, especially going from like the fairly cool, steely reserve of the person who just flaunts off like, yeah, I trust you, mom, uh, to the point where I'm sort of like doing your your bad deeds for you to like, oh, you don't understand. I'm stabbed you in the back the whole time. <laughs> sort of like, uh, yeah, like the end, like the end of Scream, you know, like, but wait, there's more. <laughs> Yeah, there's a, it's like, but you don't know my part of the evil plan. Well, I knew about your part of the evil plan. It's it's the end of Clue, actually, is yeah, what it is. That's actually very true. And then, you know what? Giorgio essentially stopped the movie and said, like, but here's how it could have happened. You know, she's yes. creating a new ending for it. Yes. Well, she she quotes Natasha Bedingfield at the end. And she says, our future is still unwritten. <laughs> exactly. And then the, the Hills plays and it just ends up being a natural segue point into the next show. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, like you said... Uh, Giorgio doing that really evokes to me, as you mentioned, tapestry. And between that and City on the Edge Forever really makes me think that the second part is going to have her end up killing Michael. Because I think no matter what episode we're talking about, the lesson from both of those is like, 
for one reason or another, the past played out in a certain way, and you have to make sure that it does. Uh, with The City on the Edge of Forever, it was more so like the butterfly effect of, mm-hmm. hey, because you saved this woman, the Nazis took over, uh, versus Picard, <laughs> which I would say is much more lower stakes. But still, in both cases, they both like end up going back in time and resolving it. And so I can imagine that if Star Trek logic continues, George O's going to have to end up doing the same thing and will probably very painfully from an emotional perspective have to kill Michael Burnham next episode. Well, it's an interesting tactic to take because I thought that a lot of the direction that this was going in when they send her back to the mirror universe, it's like, well, yeah, you were a complete sociopath, but your time in the prime universe has taught you that the bonds you make with people are important and that you really should restore peace to the galaxy. Mm. And that, you know, you have emotional connections to people for a reason. And she's kind of had her shell cracked and then gone back to the mirror universe. And it's weird that this is pointing to the moral of the story being, no, whatever happened, happened, and you still have to be a heartless sociopath that murders people. It's a good point, because maybe this is like a test set up to be like, hey, we wanted to see how much you've changed as a person. So it was like uh, Anubis weighing your soul before you move on to the afterlife. Uh, You know, particularly, obviously, like you said, I think the biggest indicator of her change is the way that she regards Saru, where she was leading the charge of, yeah, let me snack on this threat, Ganglia. Uh, She saves Saru's life and enlists him to become like her eyes and ears while also letting him know that she knows all about his customs because she's just been hanging out with one begrudgingly, but still over the past couple seasons. Yeah, and it was it was very funny that she's like acting interested in him. He's like, "Wait, nobody is interested in me at all, except yeah. to eat me." Exactly. Like, oh, a, I can't believe you're talking to me, and b, I can't believe you're letting me like get words out of my mouth because usually, usually it's they were regarded in the same way that Michael regarded them, right? Being like, "All right, I'm just going to slaughter you." You know, it's it's like having like a, a chicken or a pig deliver your mail. Like, all right, well, this is fun. But on the occasion, you might be like, all right, I'm hungry. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to yeah. eat you now. Yeah. It's like she, she used to look at him like the cartoons and he'd turn into a turkey on a plate. Yeah. I mean, I think that's probably what she was doing, right? She was probably very starving from from cutting off all those artists' hands. And so she's like, I'm having Kelpian tonight. Yeah. Feel like Kelpian tonight. So I wonder, um, do you, was he able to save the life of the one who uh, who spilled the drink on Landry? Also, hey, Landry, welcome back for like a hot second. Well, I don't think he was, because as you recall, Mike, when we were when we had the whole explanation of Vaharai before, it was the Kelpians all thought that you went through Vaharai. It was like Kelpian puberty. And then you went and got eaten. Mm-hmm. And that was your life cycle. And I think it wasn't until Saru went through it and then didn't get eaten that they realized you don't have to go that way. And so in the Terran universe, they don't know that. So that guy's going through Vaharai and Saru's like, oh, it's your time. You're going to be a snack. It's going to be okay. Right. So basically, it's it's either like, a, hey, you get sent now or you get sent later. But either way, all of our Kelpian life ends with being eaten by these Terrans. Pretty much. We are we are a delicious breed. Yeah, unfortunately. But, you know, I think Saru, it was actually that scene between Saru and Giorgio was very like Game of Thrones to me. You know, oh, yeah. Very, very reminiscent of like, you know, using little sparrows uh, or like having one of your chambermaids sort of be your eyes and ears to, to cover what's going on. And especially, you know, George O's coming off very Cersei-like here, in a manner of speaking. Uh, she is now the, the she's the most powerful woman, but there are whispers against her. And I am happy that we also got some context filled in as to 
why at that point there was a mounting insurrection against her. And to your point, Jess, it wasn't even informed by who she is now. It seems like even up to that day, people were already starting to turn on her. Yeah, it was like everybody was just waiting for the opportunity because that's how this universe is. And I think we kind of see that in a sort of a smaller setting when we see Owo get challenged for security chief. It's like everybody is always challenging each other. They're always jockeying for power all the time because that's what this universe is. Yeah, and even if they don't want it, that's the point they made, right? Of like, oh, I don't think Reese actually wants this, but like, all right, sure, we'll we'll watch them fight. And if he possibly kills someone and becomes, you know, head of the red light district or whatever it was, so be it. So uh, yeah, I'll be intrigued to see if any of anybody actually wanted to be emperor. I could see that could actually have been a legitimate reason why I could see Michael Burnham turning on her. But yeah, I would not be surprised if they're like, yeah, we killed the emperor. Oh, but I, I really don't want to be emperor. Uh, so I'm going to pass this off to somebody else if that's okay. Yeah, it's like, oh, you know what? You know, you did a lot to kill the emperor. So I think I think maybe you should give it a shot. And, you know, if, if you do bad, I'll just kill you and I'll be the emperor. But you know, go ahead. Yeah, it's fine. You first. Well, and speaking of the coup, were you expecting to see a Jason Isaacs cameo in this episode? I was. I, as soon as I heard Mirror Universe, it's like, well, we got to go back to the Lorca of it all. Right. But, you know, where is he? I don't know. Apparently, uh, I mean, he certainly has been mentioned a few times. And of course, we get the nice ookie reminder that Mirror Universe, uh, Mirror Universe Lorca was getting it on with Mirror Universe Michael, which is why he had such a weird interest in Prime Universe Michael back in season one. But yeah, nowhere to be seen, which it would it would make me a little sad if we didn't get at least some jason isaac's cameo i want him to be i want him to be seen not necessarily talked about considering that like you said he's such a big presence in this moment it would be weird not to have him he's gotta become a next episode he's he's definitely has to show up next episode they wouldn't have gone here and gone back to this point in time without bringing him back all right. Well, let's go back or we will be back as we take a second to hear from some of our sponsors before we talk some more stuff. Mirror Universe. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And we back. Nicely done, Mike. Well, and so on that note that you were talking about before, I will call that I... Completely agree with you. And I think that I think that with Michael captured, I think Lorca is going to come find her. And I think like we're going to maybe we'll get like an on screen thing of Lorca in his ship and then like Giorgio blows it up or something. I, I feel like that might be the extent we get of the cameo of like, let's get Jason Isaacs. He doesn't need to be on set. He come like do it in front of his green screen, put him in an old uniform and we'll have him do like one scene. But it'll it'll stoke the fan base enough. 
You could even just use archive footage for that. Like he shows up on the view screen and then they just blow him up like Indiana Jones style. Could they like splice in all the uh, all the different clips that he said to make a full cogent sentence or like do what they do in um in Forrest Gump and like yeah. CGI his mouth being like, you won't get away with this, Giorgio. And she's like, yes, I will. Boom. Yeah, exactly. Something like that. Cause or he doesn't even have to say anything. He just like sort of open his mouth like he's going to say something. And they just blow him up. Oh, that would be the ultimate troll job is they bring Jason Isaacs back. He opens his mouth and they phaser him and he's dead. I, I love it. I, I now I want this. This is what I, I hope we're manifesting this retroactively now because I really want that. Because I mean, to that point, the question is, what are the next steps here? You know, if it seems like Giorgio was adamant upon finding out that she traveled through time of, OK, this is what I want to do. Now that she knows there's a coup against her, yet she now has this problem of like, hey, my daughter was trying to rebel against me. Does she try to squash that coup? I mean, are more people than Stamets going to get killed here? It's it's interesting. I think, well, I think she's going to initially that the tactic she's taking is squash the coup and hold on to power. And anybody like she knows who the players are now. And so she can just like cut them down. But I think, like we said earlier, she's going to reach a point where it's like you can't go this route or everything goes bad. So you have to go back and you have to you have to kill Michael. It's your destiny. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and also, R.I.P. Mirror Universe Stamets. I guess in this universe, he does not end up meeting his Prime Universe counterpart when they're like crossing through the uh, the Mycelial network. If I'm remembering season one correctly, yeah, they just like sort of, hey, how's it going? Um, it's it's really weird though. There's got to be a point. Like, there has to be some closure for Michael on the other side of this door, though. Like Prime Michael, because otherwise, like she's just gonna like hang out with Carl for a while and like, yeah, hey, you want a beer? Okay. Yeah, is she coming back? Probably not. You can go back to your ship. Like, well, it's interesting because I wonder, you know, if this, if if she was physically transported or just mentally transported, mm-hmm. you know, like, so, wh- what if she like walks through the door and like face plants, like goes into a coma, <laughs> and then she like dies in Michael's arms, you know, as she's holding her. Yeah, like, or sort of like hours are passing for her when she steps through the door, but it's an instantaneous step through the door. Like in Contact, one of my favorite movies. I was going to say, like, I think that could totally be a thing where there's some time displacement, right? Of like, oh, my God, she's only been gone for a few minutes. And she's like, no, but it's actually been a few years. I was I was there in the Terran Empire. Yeah, I I could I could see that happening. But there's got to be a point where. Michael sees that this is wrapped up and we get that final goodbye for them. And it could be, it would be very interesting if it's right after Giorgio kills Mirror Michael. And then it's like, oh, now you're back. Now you've killed Mirror Michael and now you're back in the prime universe to say goodbye to prime Michael. Yeah. Though I, you know, what the statement that Giorgio makes in this episode of basically telling prime universe michael that you and your mirror universe counterpart are more similar than you think it's just one of you knows how evil you are essentially i do wonder if that's something she circles back to in the next part and is like i was wrong about that like you were very different uh you know maybe maybe it's the fact that though killing michael would sort of undermine the the growth that she has underwent it's taught her how different and how much she can appreciate uh, a michael burnham who is loyal to her no matter how she may behave. Yeah. And, you know, 
Prime Michael Burnham probably still has a higher body count when you think about it. Uh, yeah, I mean, listen, Prime Michael Burnham, I mean, if you count her as directly or indirectly responsible for the Battle of the Binary Stars, uh, she's got a, a big pile of bodies behind her. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, if Giorgio really wanted to wound the pride of Mirror Michael, she should bring that up. Yeah. Like, I hung out with your Prime Universe counterpart and got to tell you, she's She's not only more fun to be around because she's not always trying to usurp me, but she also killed way more people than you did. And, you know, you might have blinded a couple of artists, but who cares? The, the interesting thing was going back to like that sort of, you know, the the spitting venom statement that Giorgio usually has for Michael when they were on the planet. She said, like, uh, she essentially implied that she felt that Prime Universe Giorgio was in hell, which is like <laughs> a big leap to make. But maybe, you know. If she's using the logic of Michael, maybe she herself also says, hey, my Prime Universe counterpart may have been, you know, quote unquote, all good, but she is sprung off from me. So I know that that she has certain inclinations that might lead her to not be as saintly as you may think. Yeah, but it's also the Mirror Universe, Mike. Maybe that's the highest compliment you can Ooh, give somebody. That's interesting. Maybe hell is up. Yeah, hell could be up. Yeah, when up you die, down. you hope to rise up to hell. <laughs> yep, as you say bad bye to this to this yeah. terrestrial and plane. Like, yeah, exactly. When you're swearing so hard, you know what? Go to heaven. Yeah. I, I, I bet that's how that, I bet that's how that works. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's all the, the little invectives you hurl towards people in the mirror universe before you kill them and add them to the body pile. <laughs> yes. So I, I want to back up and talk about the setup to this, um, going to Danis five mm-hmm. because we get, we get some more David Cronenberg and we get a really funny exchange here, which I think it's almost like an inside joke to people that to the loyal discovery viewers, because there's a point where David Cronenberg is presenting as this person who's like the resident expert on all things mirror universe. And he says, you know, there's nothing you can do about this. She's pretty much screwed. And sphere data is like, yeah, nah, <laughs> yeah. Which I guess it's, it's uh, not only a fun little, little cut, but it's also, I guess, a representation of how the sphere data might not be might be more OP than even we thought because I think they even said in this episode that it has a hundred thousand years of history back from the twenty two hundreds and now it has also been sort of caught up with the nowadays Federation databases so now it essentially has you know uh now basically a hundred and eleven or a hundred and one thousand years of information <laughs> so I guess it wouldn't make sense that this thing is that has lived thousands and thousands of lifetimes more than a typical person. Uh, would know better. I actually read an interview with David Cronenberg, and it, this is sort of spoilery, but he alludes to the fact that his character Kovic is going to be officially back for Disco Season 4. Oh, that's that's kind of cool. Yeah, so that, I mean, I think that pretty much, you know, I think at this point we had both, and I'm assuming the fan base in general, had been pretty much settled around the idea that they're going to be hanging out in the 32nd century for the time being, but this all right outright confirms it unless he mm. somehow goes back in time with them of like, yeah, they're, they're going to keep hanging around this Federation home base for seasons to come. He could just come back in time with them. That's, That's true. Not hard. I mean, we haven't heard anything about like Admiral fridge sticking around for next season. Have we No. Uh, which actually let me, I want to bring up something. I know it's, it's a bit off course, but we got uh, a tweet this week from the great Jeremiah Panhorse that essentially asked, like, I think, the Admiral has something to do with the burn, you know, essentially, is, is there something in that? And I do wonder, Jess, if part of that honestly might come from the fact that up to this point, we are led to not really like or trust the Admiralty in Star Trek, because we're so much behind, like, captains and crews that when we see Admirals, they're either always like, 
uh, infiltrated or secretly bug people or secretly <laughs> changelings or like constantly telling the captains that they can't do what we want them to do. So maybe it's just that inherent distrust in them. I don't know. I, I personally don't see anything, but you know, we got very little burn stuff this week, save one thing that I'm sure we can talk about. Do you think we should be looking to the Admiral as a possible smoking phaser as to what the, the burn secret might be? Well, I don't think he directly did anything about it because he doesn't look like he's over a hundred. Mm-hmm. And if he did do something about it, he has to be like a Vulcan or something secret. And we've already done secret alien race on this show. Right. But it is possible that they they know more about the burn than they're letting on because the way that he always tries to force them to change the subject every time they have some new burn information or he's like, yeah, you can't do that because you're in Starfleet now and I'm your boss and I said you can't make this side trip to do this thing. And then they go do it anyway most of the time. But yeah, it's curious the way that he keeps shutting down this conversation, but he also – it doesn't seem to me like every direct interaction he has with people, really, he comes across as somebody who is wise and who does have their best interests at heart. Because I'm thinking particularly of the conversation that he has with Saru. Right. That he could be just manipulating Saru the same way that he tried to manipulate people to not look into the burn. But he does have this really almost a heartfelt moment where he says – you know, if you let Jarjo die, your crew's never going to look at you the same way again. So maybe you need to follow up on this. It's that was such an interesting moment for me in so many ways. First, uh, that was one of the first times he like directly disobeyed or went against Saru, but it was him that was breaking the protocol, right? Saru was the one going by the book and being like, "Hey, apparently, you know, the Emerald Chain is uh, is exercising military parades. Kim Jong Osira is uh, really, <laughs> you know, manning things up. We need to get on yellow alert." And he's like. No, no, no. You know what? I think I think we can make for this little day trip. And so I agree that, you know, on one hand, I'm like, OK, this is like a really interesting three dimensionality of this character who was usually seen as that as that beleaguered police chief who just yelled at everybody when when Discovery came back. <laughs> so maybe this is building out his own experience and who he is as a leader. But then there's that thing in the back of my head that goes back to Lorca in season one of like, mm-hmm. I don't know if I can trust these people that provide, you know, the this fatherly advice. I know that Pike ended up being good and he ended up doing that, but I've already been burned by Lorca before. Maybe this will end up being a guy who is quite literally part of the burn. Right. And Pike was a different case because we already knew Pike. Pike was not coming in completely blind. Like we have met Pike in the Star Trek universe before. So we knew he went on. We knew what his fate was. We knew that he didn't screw anybody over. But it is interesting. We've already been primed to kind of feel like any anybody coming down with some different authority from the authority that's native to our core group, it, we almost like rail against it because that's what the show is. Like the very first thing we see in this universe is Michael Burnham betraying a direct order and causing a war. Right. So it's almost like question authority is the whole theme of Discovery. And well, I think what also doesn't help is, you know, at least you and I have Star Trek Picard in our brains, which is all about like this Jot Bosch, mm-hmm. right? This like very secret syndicate that has essentially seeped its way into 
a bunch of different stuff. So in and speaking to that, I know that obviously uh, Admiral Fridge would not have been around for the burn, but maybe like the Jat Vash, it was like, oh, you know, it's been in his family for years and his great grandfather was a part of it. But he was tell- told to hold the secret and he happened to make his way into Starfleet after that. And now he's essentially an inside agent. I mean, we only have uh, a few episodes left to make that happen, but Star Trek Discovery is known for quickening the pace, especially at the end of the season. So I don't know. Now I can't get it out of my head, Jess. Yeah. Now, now I think it's just they'll be they'll be able to pack. They could pack like a whole season's worth of action into the next episode. Yeah, Uh, there's going to be room for that. But yeah, it's it's really interesting. And also the fact that when we first meet him, he doesn't trust them and he is not primed to welcome them. He doesn't set up an environment that makes them feel like they're part of Starfleet and they have to earn it from him. You already, you're like, I don't like this guy's making me do extra work. So going back to the Kovic of it all, because I know that was a a big tangent in terms of uh, Admiral Fridge. I mean, him sticking around is really interesting. First, I, when I, the first scene happened between him and Colbert, I was thinking like, yeah, I mean, why didn't they go back to him sooner? You know, even before doing that bioscan in the last episode, that should have been the very first thing you do is consult with the sole mirror universe expert that happens to be on staff. But if he does indeed continue on for season four, that makes me wonder if there is no Philippa Giorgio in season four, what what is he going to do? Could there be more mirror universe characters crossing over despite the fact that these two universes at this point are just so infinitely apart. God, that's an interesting question. I wonder if something Giorgio does brings that mirror universe closer mm. to if like she's bringing them back together somehow. And then then there is a reason to have somebody around who knows about this stuff. And there could be, you know, maybe there's a lot of dilithium in the mirror universe. They could just go take it and bring it back. Yeah, or it could be something where, depending on how powerful this Carl being is, if, like, this is indeed a quote-unquote test that George O. passed, and he's like, in honor of that, I shall bring the two universes back closer together again. Uh, so then maybe that'll give Kovic something to do, because if his job was essentially him waiting around for Mirror Universe people his entire life. He finally finds one, and then that person's gone. I think he's going to go back to twiddling his thumbs unless something else happens. Yeah. But I I feel like the conversation I would have with Carl is, no, I don't actually care about you bringing the other universe closer to us. Um, If you can really do anything, why don't you just bring back all the stuff that got destroyed in the burn? Like, Mm. give us some dilithium if that's how you want to play it. Like, if we've passed your test, how about you just undo the burn? Right, exactly. Like, how how much does this guy subscribe to genie wishes? I suppose that depends on what role he plays exactly. Yeah, he's like, yeah, you can't bring back dilithium. That's like wishing for more wishes. Exactly. Like, oh, and you can't make you can't make me fall in love with anybody in the mirror universe or any universe. That's forbidden. These are the Carl rules. <laughs> and you can't bring people back from the dead. Well, it's disgusting, you, and I hate doing it. So don't ask. Yeah, except in the mirror universe, you could because those people aren't dead yet. Or if you're apparently Arium, not a, a robot yet or ever. Yeah, I really need to rewatch that Arium episode because I feel like every time we complain about it, they just double down on referring to it. Yeah, well, they showed. So I think Hannah Cheeseman came back. Uh, I I thought I saw because I think I maybe saw someone shouted out that like Landry was the one that I recognized. It was one of those like, Mm -hmm. I feel like I know you from somewhere. But I feel like I saw her hanging around with the bridge crew. And I'm like, but wait, but that's not. So I guess it sort of actually ended up working out better 
for mirror universe Arium because a she's not dead and b she did not experience the accident or whatever that that made her cybernetically infused. Yeah, she's not dead, not a robot. Life is good. Yeah, so apparently the mirror universe works out well for some people. It's not all well, bad. It, it always does. Like you know, it, it can't just be hell for everybody, or somebody would do something different. I suppose that's true. Uh, you know, maybe that also requires an attitude adjustment, right? Like, even if you were born into this universe, it's like, well, you know what? Uh, I'll get used to it. And then you have a, a much better time. You loosen up. You start throwing the knives. And then all of a sudden, you uh, you start, you know, brawling people in hallways and, and doing silk action in honor of the emperor as we dedicate a new vessel to her. Yeah. I really wanted that knife throwing thing to fail. <laughs> to just what have this poor woman with like a dagger sticking out of her yep. head and they're and like just fall over dead and they're like oops well gonna need another timmy yeah i could see something like she drops dead and everyone's like what though i guess that's more cling on the terran i think yeah like Klingon is more about like i love bloodshed it's so much fun and terran's like for the glory of the empire the blood must be shed is that really that different mike i don't yeah i mean Especially that you're splitting some hairs here when they're talking about like weakness in this episode. It really did feel very Klingon to me. I'm like, oh, I I didn't realize how much the Terrans and the Klingons. Maybe that's why they were both sort of together in season one, right? Is because they just have very similar values. Why not introduce them both at once? Yeah, yeah, it's it's a good point. I have a couple of other like tiny points that I want to talk about. I want to talk about. And we talked about this a little bit last week because we talked about this opening scene because we'd seen it in a preview and I really, I'm having a hard time with all these temporal ironclad restrictions. It's like, Oh, you can't go across dimensions anymore. Cause that's against the law. And it's like, isn't every single time somebody has gone back in time or cross dimensions, like 75% of the time that's accidental. Right. So it's like, how can you enforce that if people don't mean to be doing it? Yeah. So, uh, Kovic brings up what the interdimensional displacement restrictions uh, which essentially says, like, hey, if someone happens to come in from their own universe, uh, we're not sending them back uh, because we'll break those. I just wonder, like, how do how do you catch someone who yeah. breaks these? You know, like, are there are there space cops that are like waiting for someone to drive a portal to open up and someone drives by and then they turn on the sirens and pull them over? <laughs> you realize yeah, what t- you realize what time you're going from there, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, th- it's unenforceable. Because you can't, like, if you, you can't punish somebody retroactively for a law that they broke in another dimension where that law doesn't exist. Yeah, it just, it's, it's, I mean, maybe it's like the honor system. Maybe the temporal wars were just so disastrous that all parties were like, okay, listen, we'll stick to it. It's not really enforceable, but we promise we won't do it. But to your point, if you are any party from outside those that sign those temporal discords, they have no idea. It's not like you get an immediate notification when you show up at the year of like, warning, don't do this. So uh, you're going to have to be arresting so many confused people who are like, I had no idea I was breaking these rules. I'm sorry. But how did you think I would ever know that if I come from a thousand years of the past? Maybe this is why a lot of those planets broke free of the Federation. They're like, I'm not signing on for that. I might accidentally go through time and then I have to go to time jail. No, that's, I'm not on that. What are the chances that either in a season of Discovery or perhaps another series proper, we get some sort of series set during the time of these temporal wars? I would like that because I have a lot of questions about the temporal wars. I, I'd be very the, – the concept, I think, just really like scratches a couple of itches that sound really fun. To me, yeah, I, you know what? I feel like if 
Star Trek, it's weird to say if Star Trek becomes as built out as the Star Wars universe, considering that I think outside of this past week, I, I think nobody would be like, well, clearly Star Wars has a, a bigger, more methodical plan for its TV shows than Star Trek. But then Thursday happened. Uh, but I, I could <laughs> see, you know, again, if they built out this whole plan, I would, you know, if Disney owned Star Trek, I would see them do a series of like, we're taking, it's taking place inside this period of 10 years in the temporal wars with a random group of new characters fighting their way through space and time to, you know, across various species before they finally come to an agreement by the end of it all. Yeah, but you know what Star Trek has always been better at than Star Wars is Star Wars is so like concerned with every tiny detail and it just like pulls stuff like they pull a single throwaway line out of a script of one of the original movies and then like blow it up and like that's what we have to make it about. Like mm-hmm. how Solo the movie is about how he made the Kessel run in 12 parsecs. Maybe you could have done something totally different because I'm sure he did other stuff. Right. And I think that Star Trek is going to be better at that. Star Trek is going to be like, well, we could take this temporal wars thing, but we're going to we're going to give it a lot of detail and we're going to go to other places and talk about what other stuff is happening too. Yeah, well maybe uh we can sort of have our cake and eat it too in that maybe discovery does go back to the time of the temporal wars where Kovic sticks around because he's like, hey, he seems to be an expert in it, apparently. And that would get him closer when the mirror universe and the prime universe were side by side. So maybe they'll still be time travel, just not as far back as where they were before. Yeah, it'll be like they break the law one time. And maybe it's like Kovic is like, I can't condone this. And I'm going to get in trouble if you guys do it. And they're like, okay, come with us. So he goes with them. So I do wonder, we talked about this a bit last week. Do you think there are any other chances that any like Abrams verse Star Trek characters, big or small, might now show up in this universe? I don't think that's what direction we're headed in, but I think they definitely they definitely built the possibility in there. And they're going to see how people react to it. And it might be at some point in the future, they try to bring these universes together again. But I think this was mostly just an Easter egg. Mm. Or just like a a wink, wink, nudge, nudge for fans for years who have been like, I don't get the Kelvin timeline has the matchup between this and Star Trek Picard. They pretty much confirmed like, yes, these were two separate universes. There is some crossover because I mean, even the guy that that they talked about was from what, like he popped in a a hundred years ago or something like he's dead at this point who knows how long ago that he died where that file was from so who knows if if anyone else exists from the those star trek films yeah i and it's possible somebody will show up or it'll be like yeah we connected to that universe but we didn't connect to the other mirror universe Right, or there could be like a crisis on Infinite Earths thing where like oh God. Michael Burnham passes by, uh, you know, uh, Chris Pine as as James C. Kirk, and they sort of like <laughs> regard each other and then move on, you know? Yeah, or there's like the, or in one universe, Michael Burnham is a pig, and in one, she's an anime girl driving a robot, and... <laughs> yeah, exactly, and they all just, they all fight crime with like this really colorful sequence where Michael Burnham has to like learn to trust herself and take a leap of faith. Yes, exactly. I, I think that's what direction we're going in next. Um, I wanted to call out like speaking of nods to other star trek properties we got to talk about saru invoking wrath of khan 
because that that stuck out to me and it was it was really like almost thumbing their noses at Wrath of Khan where he says, No, in this case the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one. Well didn't he just take the lesson from Navarre a couple of weeks ago, right? Of like they said that phrase was outdated. So he's like, Okay, if it means that it's outdated, then that means it's wrong. So therefore I'll flip it back and reverse it. Yeah. Put that thing down, flip it and reverse it. Um Yeah, I but I thought that was also like there's so much in this in this show that is just calling out to other Star Trek properties. And it's like reference after reference after reference. And it's almost something you have to watch it twice to catch everything. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of Saru, because like you said, the, the vast majority of this and the interesting content was based on the mirror universe, but we do get a little bit of a forward push on our burn search, right? Where they finally, mm-hmm. they decode this distress call and it was from a Kelpian vessel that I guess crashed in this nebula, uh, seemingly never received help. But there's an interesting thing here where Saru is sort of fixated on the Kelpian and says like, oh, look at this. And they say, should I tell the Admiral? And he says like, oh no, he's, he's you know, he's busy with other things. Could we see Saru possibly go behind Fridge's back here? Like, could he possibly have so much of a vested interest in the burn stuff now that it might cause him to go off book in a very, uh, you know, against character fashion. Yeah. It, it really seems like that's where we're headed. It's like, there's the stuff, there's like a bunch of stuff that we're siloing away and we're not telling Admiral Fridge. And we found the one thing that gets Saru interested. I think if it, it's anybody else in that distress call, he's like, eh, no, we got to show Admiral Fridge and this is not high priority. But to make it be a Kelpian, all of a sudden he's like, yes, I'm intrigued. Tell me more. And I think, I don't know if that. Because honestly, if I was trying to get people interested in my project and my project is the burn, if I'm going to directly manipulate people into being interested, I could not do any better than this. Right. Uh, But I just thought it was interesting because, again, this is a guy that always goes, "Okay, I have to report this to my higher Mm -hmm. up for him for even in this moment for him to be like, "Uh, this can be on a need to know basis. And the fact that even afterwards, he sort of stared longingly at this Kelpian person. You know, I think that... He's Saru- like, ooh, it's a lady Kelpian. Yeah, like, ooh, finally, yeah. I'll find some romance in this dead he hasn't woman. Seen, he hasn't seen a lady Kelpian in, like, you know, a year at this point, so... Yeah, so, I mean, that... And it's interesting, because you would say, to your point, oh, well, he, like, just saw his sister, you know, when they when yeah. they went through the portal there. But I guess maybe for Saru's this idea... I mean, he was so besides himself giddy when he found out that the Kelpians had joined the Federation that, mm-hmm. like... Maybe for him, it's, well, everyone else got to, like, find their own counterpart in the 3100s, and I haven't. Uh, I mean, I guess the first question he asked Fridge when he got to Federation HQ, right, was, like, what happened to the Kelpians? What happened to Kaminar? So maybe that just sort of has obscured all of his other thoughts, but it's, I don't know, it might not lead discovery in a good direction. This seems very Michael Burnham to me now, of him being, like, so obsessed with this idea that's at the front of his head that that might obfuscate the larger sense of things. In this case, the needs of the one might outweigh the needs of the many. Yep, yep the needs of the one to go and find some Lady Kelpians. Yeah, they're also long dead, I think, at this point, considering that, again, that was from back in the burn. I think it was actually years before the burn, yeah. so that's at least 100 years old. Yeah, it was like 100 years ago, but I I think it it is the one thing that could get Saru to stop being on this I have to speak to my supervisor track. 
Yeah, which would be interesting. That that's definitely growth on his part too, when he knows how to uh, how to sort of go off go off board. Which even some of the best and most loved captains in Star Trek past have done. No captain has completely gone by the rules and made for an entertaining program. Yeah, it's true. Like that's what Star Trek is all about. Which is it's weird because you think of it as being you think of Starfleet as being such a rigid rigid place with um, with laws that protect the common good, and then every single captain goes against Starfleet all the time. Right. Like, why do you even have laws? They're they're you know the rules are there to break in a manner of speaking it's or true. follow sometimes. Yep. I also wanted to talk about like the few minutes of book that we got this episode, which were mm-hmm. really funny, um, because that felt very Game of Thronesy to me as well. Because he comes in like thinking that he's got this big information dump that's going to change everything, and he he goes to Saru. He's like, "Yeah, I heard this news about the Emerald Chain," and Saru's like, "Yeah, we already heard that." And he says, "But but doesn't that just confirm yeah. the news that you already had?" And Saru's like, "Stop being such a tryhard book." Yeah, I was going to say. Now we get to, like book is is someone who has played it cool so much, but between like last episode and this one, he's proven to be like kind of more of a dweeb, which I'm fine with. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I like that building out that character dimensionality. But yeah, we get to see sort of like teacher's pet book here of like, I'm going to help. I really want to help. And Saru's, Saru's like the parent who's helping on a home project. And like the kid's like, oh, I want to help do this. We're like, great. Why don't you go like paint this corner? You know, and Saru's like, uh, well, we had to prove ourselves. So you have to do the same thing. I don't know when that's going to happen. I feel like that might be like a season finale thing of like book comes through at the end and does a big thing. And Saru's like, okay, you're part of the crew now. Or I don't know if, if book actually ever wants to be part of the crew, but I don't know. I just, maybe he wants to just be an ally of them. But yeah, I did love that moment of books immediate pivot of like, well, uh, I know it's not new information, but it at least confirms your sources. I know a lot of CD people, so that should hopefully help. Yeah. He's, he's trying really hard. And it, it's not a look that we, you know, he he first presented as this Han Solo type, and then he's done this pivot into trying really hard to impress people. And then I think he probably will do that 11th hour Han Solo thing where he proves his worth to the group and is part of them now. I I think we wouldn't have him still here if he wasn't eventually going to be part of the group. Let's also, uh, like, not to close the end because I guess it's been an open end. Uh, can we put an episode number? In what episode number do you think Gray shows back up? Um, I don't think next week. I think maybe the week after we get some more Gray because we keep we keep reminding like we had that one scene that didn't even need to be there except to remind us that Gray exists. Right, exactly. Where it's like Adira has like missed the obvious thing because they haven't been sleeping. It's like, well. Uh, uh, Adira being in like total denial, teenager like of, well, you know, uh, uh, I'm enjoying my life much more without him. In fact, I don't even want him around when he comes back. But it was like you said, it was like the requisite mention of it for the third week in a row. So I, I'm going to say a couple of weeks as well. I'm going to say episode 11 is when Gray comes back. And maybe it's going to be like a big breakthrough moment for Adira where the psychology brought Gray back. Maybe it'll be like a similar thing with Giorgio and Michael where Adira has to say goodbye to Gray for whatever reason. I'm not sure. But yeah, that, that's our sort of like check in with how Adira is doing, which is evidently not well. Yeah, no, it's, it's not a good week for them. Not at all. No. So is there anything else we need to touch on before we wrap things up, Mike? No, I mean, it was it was an odd it was an odd episode uh, in that, again, you know, they, they put a bunch of like little stuff in the beginning. And then the second half was really focused on this mirror universe stuff. Like I said before, I'm going to hold my opinion on the duology until we finish watching it to see like how I ended up paying off. But for right now, it is weird. 
but I love Discovery when it gets weird. So I'm I'm fine with it right now. I'm intrigued, Jess. You you said you were you checking out Reddit a bit to see like what what the fan consensus was around the episode. How are people feeling right now about this trip back into the mirror universe? I can imagine it's polarizing. I think people are mostly excited um, because they love the mirror universe. Like mm-hmm. it's just a fun place to be. Um, I mean, obviously not if you're really there, it's probably not very much fun, but it's a fun place to watch people just go nuts with the acting. And it's a different, it's a different environment. It's like we've taken a little field trip. Mm. And I think you make a very good point, Mike, that this is not really, it's hard to make a judgment call on what this episode, how this episode ranks and how it stands up to other episodes, because we haven't seen the whole thing yet. Like this is the first one this season that is actually has a part number on it that has a corresponding other part number. (laughs) And an immediate follow up specifically too. Yeah, like we're we're actually this we can really treat this one as a two parter. Yeah, so we'll see. You know, I, I'll say right now if we're putting like the the placeholder in, I'm enjoying it. I still question the need to go here at this point in time. But if it does end up being that sort of farewell to Giorgio, like we're we're sort of speculating, then it makes sense. But I I've been enjoying the deviation we got even from the thirty second century. I know there's a lot of new fun stuff to explore in the future. But I'm fine going back to the past, also, if that means, like, we're sort of retiring the Mirror Universe for now as well. Yeah, but honestly, Mike, I feel like if they're going to give us a two-parter, they need to give us both parts if there's not a giant cliffhanger in the middle of it, which there really wasn't. No, this is not like the, the big da-da-da-da-da-da-da the to be continued yeah. that usually shows up. Uh, yeah, I, I agree, because we talked about this last week, that, like, oh, I guess there's going to be a big cliffhanger that they ended on. No, it was more so her saying like, oh, you know, this more so seemed to be like what they did with last season's finale of it was supposed to be a big episode, but it was too big. And so they said, we'll just cut it off and distribute it between different weeks. Uh, I wonder if maybe the combined supercut of Terra Firma parts one and two would be a bit more cohesive. Yeah, I I think I almost when I watch it next week, I think I'm going to go back and watch Terra Firma Part 1 and then segue immediately into Part 2 to see if it makes a whole lot more sense as one single piece. Yeah, I think that makes that makes a lot of sense. I'll be very intrigued to hear how that flows. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that about wraps things up for us, Mike. Um, mm-hmm. Can we talk about what else you're up to? Did you have any great insights on Star Trek for CBR this week? Yeah, so CBR, I've got a couple of things, uh, mainly around Carl. Uh, so I have a, an, an article up about like what we know about Carl so far. I really tried to back the horse of him possibly being a Q, though, Jess, I think you make a great point about the Guardian of Space and Time, because the other thing I wrote was about how this episode pays homage to the city on the edge of forever and also tapestry. And I made the similar point that I did early on that that probably means that it's going to end up with her having to kill Michael Burnham and realizing that the past is obdurate. So we shall see how that pays off. But otherwise, going on here on Post Show Recaps, uh, we have Lost going down the hatch into an inimitable stretch of episodes to end off Season 3. Josh and I just spent almost three hours covering The Brig, which was an incredible episode. I guess that's sort of like Sawyer meeting Mirror Universe Sawyer, in a manner of speaking. So be sure to check that out. I was also on The Mandalorian last week and speaking of the mandalorian you're gonna want to check out everything is super this past week because as i mentioned before 
Disney just like opened up the floodgates and let forth a slew of content for until the end of time between Star Wars, between its proper animation stuff, and especially on the MCU front. And so Josh and Kevin had an emergency convening to talk about all of these new and upcoming projects that got announced. So I highly recommend you check it out. It got me pumped all over again. Uh, so yeah, unfortunately, no Spider-Man review this week, but that's if you're looking to check in about like, hey, I got a whole you know info dump of nerd stuff. Where do I turn to on PSR? That's a good place to start. Yeah, I definitely recommend checking that out because it was a lot. Like I haven't even sifted through all that news. Yeah, exactly. So that's what I've got going on. Aside from Jess, you and I are rounding the bend on our our uh, our amazing race coverage. We have reached the end here uh, before we jump into Mirror Universe Amazing Race, the not-so-good race. <laughs> yeah, uh, Mirror Universe Amazing Race has a lot more killing in it. Yeah, it, uh, well, every team is eliminated by the end, and that means Phil, Mirror Phil Kogan pulls out a knife and slices their throats at the end. Yeah, but he looks really good in that smoky eye, Mike, and that those shoulder pads really, they're a great look on Phil. Yeah, the Phil eyebrow works really well with a little bit of shadow. It, it's true, it's true. So I'll be excited to check that out once we wrap up Amazing Race, but we have... We have two weekly Amazing Race recaps uh, for you. We have the regular episode recap, and then we have the Tar Pit, which is where we put all our nonsense. And our next episode of the Tar Pit will be recording tomorrow and dropping in your feeds on Monday morning. Yeah, so if you're checking that out as well, uh, Jess and I still have a few more weeks. Actually, I think we're in our last month of Star Trek Discovery proper. Uh, but yeah, we still, we still got some other CBS-laden properties to talk about as well. Yeah, there's a lot coming down the pike. and Not coming down the Captain Pike. Oh, I can only hope that we have strange new worlds coming up. So I think, well, there's a lot coming down the pike in that regard as well. Yes, indeed. Um, so if you are enjoying all of our nonsense about Star Trek and others, um, we invite you to come and leave a review for us on the iTunes store. That helps boost our credibility with all things iTunes. And we like hearing from you as well. And we would love any feedback that you might have for us. You can email Star Trek at postshowrecaps.com or you can hit us up on the Twitters. You can hit me up at Haymaker Hattie. You can hit me up at a Mike Bloom type and make sure if you want to become a $10 patron of Post Show Recaps, we are, of course, very appreciative. Don't need to make any bets on Disco crew members fighting to get that cashola. But if you do and you want to invest it, you can check out our Post Show Recaps Patreon Discord. where We're having so many chats about Star Trek, Star Wars, MCU. As you can imagine, with these announcements, a lot of a flutter going on, uh, even amongst off-topic things over on the Discord. So I highly encourage, if you have the means, if you want a gift, patronage to people that you know might like it uh be sure to check it out patreon.com slash post show recaps yeah it's a really wonderful community that we you know we've only been doing this this is our third month of of patreon and mm -hmm. we have built such an amazing community and not only do you get access to the discord you get a lot of extra podcasts every week um including a movie recap with our esteemed post show recaps dad josh wiggler and you also get a extra podcast where he talks about whatever he's watching this week and you get a newsletter which um is compiled by yours truly and i often joke that nobody reads it but it is a lot of fun to put together and i think people are enjoying reading it a little just i'm pretty sure i saw carl unfurl that newsletter in that episode as he was reading it while watching them walk by the door yeah he actually had that behind his newspaper he was really reading the post show recap exactly newsletter. Like, like the comic book with the kid in the classroom exactly like like biff with the girly magazine and sports almanac yeah. <laughs> Speaking of time travel, mm -hmm, they get to bring exactly. it all around. Yeah, this was back to the past instead. Yes. Yes, back to the mirror universe past. 
That doesn't Boy, sound doesn't sound doesn't flow no. as well. Not not really, no. All right. So with all of that, I want to thank you, Mike Bloom, for joining me for all of this. We had a really good time tonight, and I think I think the listeners are going to agree with us. I, I agree with you, agree with the listeners, agree with us. <laughs> yeah, see, we're stuck in a time loop too now. And so in exactly. order to break out of the time loop, I'm just going to thank all the listeners and thank extra all of the patrons. Um, wish everybody a good night. Live long and prosper. And we'll see you next week. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.